mean, you've been putting in work for so long. Putting in a lot of work. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to episode 147 of Putting in Work, 8-Bits Interview Podcast. We're powered by Audio Technica and Manscaped. I'm your host, John O'Peck, and joining me this week, we have Ethan Cooper, the man behind Tag Mods. For people who don't know Ethan, it's possible that you've seen some of his work on social media. He's a modder. He builds PCs and modifies PCs. He also modifies uh, gaming controllers and consoles in really creative and fun and quirky ways, usually themed towards a particular game. Occasionally, these things have gone viral, and it's led to the point for him where he was able to quit his job, do it full-time, and now he's working with AAA Studios like Insomniac and Activision and Bethesda, and he's able to work with even bigger companies like Marvel and DC and Disney and tech giants like NVIDIA. It's just it's just created this whole stream of business for him, and it's great to kind of chronicle that journey from a hobby through to a full-time job where he can't even really take on as much work as he probably would love to. He was kind enough to paint my PlayStation 5 when I first got it. I've got a really sleek black PS5 you might have seen at some point, but that's all because of Ethan. He's working on a really cool Horizon Zero Dawn themed PlayStation 5 for our friend Brendan at The Hungry Gamers, so you'll probably be seeing that pretty soon. But yeah, I really especially loved Ethan's story of taking a gamble and betting on himself with this business and believing that it could be something bigger than what it was and investing in it and seeing that pay off, which you'll hear about very soon. Uh, a bit of housekeeping. We've got some new merch over at shop8bit.net. There's a comedy rewind style tee that I've designed, which I'd love for you to check out and maybe pick it up. Anyone familiar with 80s and 90s style VHS design might get a kick out of it. And speaking of Comedy Rewind, upcoming very soon, we have Kind of Funny's Nick Scarpino, a past guest on this podcast, joining me and my friend Mario to talk about 40-Year-Old Virgin. That podcast will be going up about a week from the release of this one. So head over to Comedy Rewind on all podcast services if you want to check that out, and I would love it if you could. Otherwise, we've recently had our Cyberpunk spoiler cast go up on the Hungry Gamers feed. It's great to talk about the ups and downs of that game. And an 8-bit cast with Brendan and myself talking about our journeys through life and music. So our days of musical discovery from very young years up until kind of early adulthood and the way that that has been just part of our lives and played a, a role in our identities and that kind of thing. It was really great to talk to Brendan about experiences with live performance and that kind of thing for about an hour. So head over to 8BitCast for that one. If you're a Kofi supporter, you can get that already. Otherwise, it'll be very, very close to release on the free feeds. But that's it for now. Without further ado, here is our friend Ethan Cooper, aka Tag Mods. Enjoy the show. Ethan, thanks for coming on the show. It's great to have you here. No, good man. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, we were going to do it in person, but then lockdown, the third lockdown kicked things out of whack a bit. So the we're, old COVID we're strikes again. A, yeah. It's all <laughs> Just part can't of get fun away though, from it? it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um, I'm guessing that COVID, has, has it affected your work at all over the last year? You might, probably had more time. Um, I, don't, I don't know if you were working out of home at all before that, but... it's It didn't really affect the workflow directly it just changed mm. so generally um builds were focused around your big events for the year so like ces computex and pax 
Um, sure, yeah. And obviously last year, or CES happened because it was in January, but other than that, nothing happened. Like Computex didn't go ahead, which is like what generally the biggest tech expo in the world because it's held in Taiwan. Mm. Um, and then you've got all the American packs and Australian packs that I normally do work for that suddenly just weren't happening. Um, yeah. But luckily, all the companies clicked on to everything pretty quickly and were like, well, we're no longer using our PAX budgets. And that shifted pretty quickly into just doing a few um, grander scale projects rather than um, more case mod oriented stuff. I did a lot more scratch builds and stuff last year. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it, it didn't seem like you had any shortage of, of work when I was in your, your um, workshop. It just looked like there was stuff everywhere that you were working on or that you'd finished and, and that kind of thing. So I Yeah, guess... I was just starting to pack up my workshop then too because I've since moved yeah. it completely. So that um, okay. where you were is now a home gym. Oh, nice. Yeah. Getting getting fit. Working on it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So where's the workshop now? Uh, I've moved just up on um, the Bellring Highway up near the Mill Market. Okay. Um, yeah. So is that like separating work from home, essentially? Um, yes, but also I just needed more space. I've just outgrown yep. my little six by four meter shed. Um, mm. It's been outgrown for quite a while now, but I've kind of <laughs> got to the position now where I can well, a afford and b fully justify having a much larger space. So I think the new workshop is like twenty meters by fifteen meters or something. Oh wow. Um and I've got two levels, so it's way bigger. It's got way more space and it's allowed me to buy like a few bigger machines and just things that make workflow and in general a lot easier. So Yeah, that makes sense. Like I guess yeah. having clean spaces and less Yeah, I can mess, have eight projects on the yeah. go and have somewhere to put them all rather than piling on top of each other, which is pretty yeah. nice. Yeah, although I do like the kind of mad scientist look that you had going on with just like stuff everywhere. That was that was pretty cool. The, it'll still probably end up like that. I'm not going to lie because I'll be like, oh, I have more space that allows me to take on more work. Um, it doesn't give yeah. me more time, but eh. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. So we'll we'll backtrack a bit and tell the origin story of of Tag and of Ethan Cooper. So when did you start getting into this? When did you first kind of dabble and and what was like the first thing that you modded? Uh, my first ever build was a Batman PC. Um, it kind of came to be because I was living on residence in uni at the time, um, and I had to, it had to sit on my tiny little dorm desk in my tiny little dorm room, and it mm-hmm. just looked like crap. So I kind of got into my head to kind of do something about it. One of my good mates um, had just got into 3D printing at the time. He's an engineer. Um, mm. so we built a 3d printer and kind of tinkered around with it and printed a bunch of stuff for it. And the Batman PC kind of came to be, um, looking back on it, nice. it is, uh, absolute trash, but <laughs> you got to start somewhere. That's it. How long ago was that? That would have been 2014. Um, right. and tag itself came into existence. October, 2015 is when I registered the ABN and, um, got the trading name and all that kind of stuff. And that was after, I think, four sure. builds because a mate saw that and then that led to the Joker PC and then did a TARDIS PC for a friend and it just kind of rolled from there and I went, well, shit, maybe this is like actually a legitimate kind of business venture. Mm. Uh, and yeah, kind of just rolled from there and uh, I've been full-time with it now for almost two years. Yeah, crazy. Mm. So what were you studying at the time? Uh, I was doing a Bachelor of IT with majors in computer science and game design and development. So yeah, right. um, I worked in that field for a while as well as a, um, a yeah, QA right. analyst and programmer at um, just a local Geelong um, tech company in the healthcare space. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, I 
kind of found myself doing the same old, same old and got bored. So I had I had savings and that for about six months and went, well, righto, we'll, we'll give it a whirl and see how we go. And I'm nearly two years in. Yeah, that's really cool. Mm. There's so much in there to get into, but I'm curious, like when you did that Batman uh, mod and then a, a couple of others, had you like ha- had a chance to flex the skills previous to that? Like, is it did it start with like woodwork or metalwork in high school, or what do you see as the practical side of learning those skills that you need to kind of a- apply a bit of art to to what you're doing there? I've literally learned everything kind of as I go. Um, I was never. I kind of didn't realize I was creative until I got into PC modding. Like in school, I did like um, your big five. I, I I did like all the sciences, all the math. Yeah. <laughs> never really did anything art related from like year nine up when it wasn't compulsory. Um, mm. I've always enjoyed tinkering, especially with like electronics and computers and all that kind of stuff. I was the you know your stereotypical computer kid growing up and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it just kind of happened, to be honest. So yeah. like for well especially early on every project was like a massive challenge and the fact I had to learn how to do each thing, um, and whereas now I'm at the point where I've done that many I think the current counter builds is just under two hundred, um, full custom, oh. um, so I'm kind of at the point now where I just know how to do things or know how like I'll see something and go oh I know how I could I could do that and but there's still mm. a bunch of things that uh, I'm interested in learning and things like that like glass blowing really interests me it's probably one of those things i'll never get into but it looks cool yeah, yeah. have you seen the show on netflix the yeah, yeah I have. blown away, blown away yeah, yeah yeah that stuff looks so cool I, I, every time i see it it's just like how, how how does this work like how does how do they do this how do they make anything and they, like they can make anything yeah they can exactly like it's but it's like there's such a um a brutal fragile medium so i find it very interesting um, obviously, it's not super applicable for a uh, a PC, but um, outside of that, like I've been, I do a lot of woodwork and that now uh, over the past, I found myself with a lot more spare time last year just because I was doing less projects, but that was just a bigger volume, so like bigger mm-hmm. scale, sorry. Um, yeah, so I found myself kind of dabbling in a lot more like woodwork and resin and get, getting more back to using just like pure hand tools and trying to do things a bit more manually rather yeah. than relying on the power tools okay so i'm guessing over the years your uh your mods and your designs have got more and more complicated is there a particular project you remember doing that you were like this is something i've never done before like this is a huge learning curve but it was just like a huge step for you because it showed that you can if you have an idea you can do it basically um the first kind of example of that would have been the the fallout lunchbox pc um, I reckon that's from early twenty, mid, like mid so twenty sixteen, so which mm-hmm. five years ago now. Jeez. Um, so what did yeah, that involve? So uh, I literally took a little PC. So generally, a PC case, your panels slide off back and forth. Um, so I made them hinge up and down like a little tin lunchbox, and put the Vault Boy up and around it, just like from the, in the game. And we busted a side of it out um, and curled all the metal up, so it had exploded, and that showed all the PC hardware inside. It was fully water-cooled, fully weathered, a really tight build. Uh, I was fairly new to water-cooling and all that still at that point, so trying to do a compact version, of, like a normal-sized version, was difficult for me at the time, let alone a compact version. Um, and I remember half-walking away from that project two or three times, just being like, yeah, no, nah, I'm not going to get this to look good. 
and it's actually the build that kind of made me realize that I should be working for companies, not clients, because it was just for a buddy of mine. Um, and it, it was one of those projects that started out with like a really simple concept, and then yeah. the longer we worked on it, the more complicated and elaborate and kind of crazy it got. Like the power and reset buttons and Nuka-Cola caps and just all those little, little details. Um, it was just flooded with them. And that got noticed by like Bethesda and all that kind of stuff. And I went on to do work with Bethesda because of that project. And it's kind of where I made that initial shift to work directly with companies because 99% of my work now is company to company, not company to client. Um, and that's yeah. mostly because of IP and just, you know, avoiding getting sued for copyright and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. So tell, tell us about some of the clients you've worked with. Like I've, I've seen you, you've done some cool stuff with Insomniac and then there's, you know, I don't know if it's Disney or Marvel or whatever whatever level it comes in at, but yep. yeah, tell us about some of the, the big ones and, and exactly what's gone into those and how those kinds of negotiations and discussions have been like. Um, kind of the general rule that I've discovered is the one thing that big companies don't quite have a grasp on is just how long things take to actually build um so i find we spend a lot of time in the design phase and all that kind of stuff because obviously that's very important to them as a brand and making sure that the design represents their brand values their brand guidelines and all that kind of jazz uh and then they'll be just kind of turning and be like oh cool we've got an event next week and you're like (laughs) ah yeah okay I, i guess i'll just not sleep this week to get this done um i am working on remedying that and actually working a lot uh closer with companies now because once you do a couple of projects with them, obviously you build like that personal rapport and you can mm-hmm. kind of speak out a little bit more. Um, obviously, you'd like initially you have to overcome that fear of like, holy crap, I'm talking to like, you know, the, the head uh, marketing manager or whoever it might be at one of the coolest companies in the world, whether it be Marvel <laughs> or even like um, I've worked closely with um bethesda who like like these are the guys that made the games that i grew up with like you know i'm working with people that had had value and stake in skyrim and all that kind of stuff all the games that really like pinnacled my like adolescence um yeah and i've worked with uh recently i've done a lot with like square enix um and capcom and basically at this point if you you can name them i've probably done something with them at some point yeah yeah Yeah. cool and so, what what's it like to kind of like like are they designing it literally in Photoshop and sending you like a sketch or something that you have to then make, or are they asking you what you can do? Like, how does that kind of um, process work? It's it's kind of it's a bit of both. Some companies come to me with a very constructed idea of what they want, and they just kind of like mm-hmm. we want to a they ask if it's possible because sometimes they come to you with like ludicrous things. Uh, like they want a PC that balances on like a one point and like the engineering behind that's insane. Um, that's the most recent example of a idea that's been pitched to me. And I was like, I could do it. Don't have how I'd figure it out, but yeah. Yeah. Um, Physics still exists. Yeah, exactly. So, um, that's probably only about 20 or 30% of the time though. Most of the time they come to me because they want that creative element as well. Um, obviously, with your bigger brands especially, I still have to work within their guidelines and all the approval processes and things like that. Um, but for the most part, it's they come to me with like, hey, we've got this game coming out in month, six months, whatever it might be. 
we want you to do something and we uh, obviously we, we go back and forth on budget and that kind of thing just to see how crazy the build is going to be um, and I just work within those constraints and the crazier builds like the dodecahedron and the um, I literally built like a model scale replica of Bleak Falls Barrow for Corsair last year um, had like the complete little dragon skull on it and a little iron helmet and it turned out pretty sick hmm. um so it's kind of everything from like a super clean basic uh, not that's not not it's not really basic it's just the more refined product rather than something that's big and crazy um it all sure. depends on like if it's a giveaway we have to take that into account because like i can't build a you know a, a bleak force barrier replica to send to somebody because a it's not going to ship well and b it's the most impractical thing to try and put on a desk yeah so you got to try and find that balance depending on what the company plans to do with the build um if it's just for social media or whatnot, I get to have a lot more fun generally because it doesn't need to be a super practical PC, which means I can either go big or put hardware in like unknown configurations that kind of allow it to do whatever it wants. Yeah. Yeah, right. And so going back to, I guess, when you just started to, to make these things for your friends, like building your company up from from scratch like was there a process that you were trying to get noticed and like market your um builds to, to go viral and what was kind of your approach to that because eventually that seems like that's what happened where it got noticed and that's got you to where you are now so i'm guessing that must have been a big part of it yeah it was it would have been um not long after fall that build uh kind of it didn't go full viral but it got like a couple hundred thousand hits which at the time was mind-boggling um mm-hmm. And then after that, um, obviously started to see actual merit in this is that could be a potential company or business or whatever at the time. Um, so I kind of took the gamble and paid for my own PAX booth at PAX 2016, um, and then used that. What to, kind of what kind of uh, gamble is that? Like he's talking like a, a couple of grand to. Uh, is that twenty grand or what? Wow. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah, it was, a, it was a it was a pretty big gamble. Um, yeah. But that was kind of at the point where I was like, well. Like the plan for that pack was to know if it had merit or not. So I'd either, um, I literally used it to talk to the companies and rather than just like trying on photos on a phone, I could be like, well, hey, let's go for a quick walk. I'll show you what I've been doing. Uh, I think at that point we had like the Pikachu PC, um, the TARDIS PC, Fallout. um, I think I've done like a Zelda PC and all that kind of stuff at that point as well. So I think there was like eight or nine builds and there was like a, I did a Halo, um, Halo helmet with an Xbox in it. Um, as well as Aku Aku, the PS4, yeah. which is my first project that ended up going viral, uh, like proper viral. Like I got like millions, like not millions, but thousands of messages just about that thing, but it hit <laughs> over millions of people and I was just kind of like, oh damn, okay. Um, and I think that's because it doesn't look like a PlayStation. Like it literally just looks like a big Aku Aku that happens to also be a PlayStation. Yeah. Um, so I've still got that actually. It's one of the few mods that I still have to this day. Um mm. So that was kind of, yeah, easily the biggest gamble. Um, but obviously it, it paid off and I met the right people, happened to meet the right people at PAX. Um, and it just kind of evolved from there. And now I work super closely with um, all of your big tech companies um, that have the Australian presence. So like uh, like Cooler Master and uh, Gigabyte and all those guys that had, they um, actually have like Australian employees. So I work very closely with them fairly regularly yeah, on right. like four or five projects minimum a year. Okay, so that twenty grand, like that's a that's a pretty big like risk to take if it doesn't eventuate into anything. I'm I'm guessing like 
you pr- must have been pretty confident that it was going to be worth it with for the networking and the exposure had that been a build up to that point where you're like you know I'm, I'm getting a lot of attention this is it i'm jumping in and this is either going to be you know spending all my savings or it's going to be like setting me up for the rest of my career um more or less yeah so i, I was fairly confident that it did um at least gather some attention um, and I was l- lucky enough that year to meet the proper people like Cooler Master and a few other people that um, were in the right area of the scene, whether it be the marketing managers or a few other modders and that kind of stuff to actually chat about if it, mm. is it actually viable to do or is it just kind of something people do as a hobby. At the time, it was something people mostly do as a hobby. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm one of the only full-time modders kind of around. I'm definitely the only one yeah. in Australia that's completely full-time. Um okay. And then there's, um, I know a couple of guys in America that um, do it like as their main job as well. But for the most part, it's just kind of something people do occasionally for like free tech and that kind of stuff. Mm. So I kind of had to yep. break that, um, like that, just that mentality of the companies being like, hey, cool, you build this cool thing for us and we give you free hardware. Because at the end of the day, mm-hmm. hardware is cool, but it doesn't pay bills. Yeah, <laughs> unless you can find like a way to sell it all the time, but you don't want to be doing that, do you? No, I don't really want to be peddling because it's like it's hard as well. Because if that hardware breaks within the warranty period, there's no receipt. There's no. Hmm. It's yeah, definitely much more of yeah. a gamble in terms of someone else buying it. So, um, sure. yeah, even now I don't really sell hardware to um, many people. I'll sell it to like friends and stuff because I can. Mm-hmm. I'll gladly help them out if something does break, but I don't want to have to deal with random warranty requests from random that I sold hardware to, you know, two and a half years ago. Yeah, sure. So what's the kind of community like around these things? Because occasionally I'll see like someone is getting into like modding a Nintendo DS or whatever. And and there's like all these different ways that you can like mess around with handhelds. But it's not often that I'll see, you know, a a PS4 or a PS5 getting modded by someone and and shared. It seems to be... Um, fairly niche thing would you say that or is, no, there, it is, or, pretty or niche. is there a big yeah um, I know there's what, four of us I think in Australia that I know um, mm-hmm. and then even globally I could probably maybe name 20 people tops um, it's pretty niche and even those 20 people most of them don't touch consoles or anything like that um, for me it was a super logical progression because I had a I did basically the same thing. I was I'd modded a few pieces at that point, looked at my PlayStation and went, Well that's boring mm. and then made it cooler. <laughs> yeah. What would you say is your actual favorite thing to do? Like because I mean I look at I'm a PlayStation guy and I look at like what you did for Betson with the God of War, like, you know, there's an axe in the middle of that PlayStation. Like that's yeah. cool. Like that seems to me like you can be a lot more creative and knowing what you're doing for Brendan from eight bit with his uh, like his horizon um design like yep. there's just so, so much you can do with these properties these ips these games that have such amazing visuals and imagery and, and style that you can apply to to a box basically it's almost like a canvas to you i'm guessing <laughs> uh, more or less it is yeah um have you seen the photos for the horizon playstation i've seen a, yeah brendan showed me a couple yeah that's, that's coming along so, quite well. Um, yeah. It's got full arrows in it and all that kind of stuff. And the idea was basically making the um, shell of the PlayStation one of the robots and that it's been like basically through the ringer and is like all weathered and kind of rusty and just like mm. beat up to buggery. 
but more or less it is like I used to really struggle with um, like my first lot of um, console designs and all that kind of stuff I feel were very forced compared to now and that's just experience um, I now look at it as much more of a is it, it is a canvas and a way to I'm a lot better now at representing a game discreetly rather than just slapping the game's logo on it sure yeah um, like obviously the Demon Souls one yeah yeah exactly but there's games where I'm going to thrive at that and then there's games that I'm going to struggle with because it's obviously games that I'm super into personally are going to be a lot easier to grab those small niche details from um, I keep up with most games whether it be just by playing demos and watching other people play it while I work so I, I'm generally mm-hmm. pretty on top of uh, most games that's coming out just purely because I'm, I know I'll be working with them at some point for, for the most part obviously um, so I feel like I'm a lot better at pulling those small little details out and putting them into mm. a perceivable way where if someone looks at the controller or console out of context they'll go oh wow that's from this game or if they don't know what game it is and they when they find out that it makes that connection straight away yeah, yeah it's, it's like a good t-shirt design or something like you can just put the big logo on it or you can you know be a bit more nuanced and creative and, and make a reference to something and that's always something that I think appreciates more. yeah exactly and obviously like the fans of those franchises go nuts for it and the people that don't really know what it is if they like if they're interested enough to look it up and learn what it is they go like they used to have that click and they're like oh yeah of course this is probably a good time to talk about our friends over at Manscaped and this episode of Putting In Work is brought to you by Manscaped they got the special 8-bit offer code for all of our dear listeners you know the surveys say that women prefer a clean look we know that men these days have a bit more respect for their body things can get a bit scrappy during those quarantine lockdowns but once you're ready to leave the house re-entering society you want to look and feel your best manscaped has you covered with the very best in men's self-care hygiene and below the waist grooming they've redesigned the electric trimmer perfecting the new and improved lawnmower 3.0 with a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming incidents and accidents also got lotions and deodorants and all kinds of things to make you feel and smell and look just fantastic you know you have to have the right gear and that's where manscaped comes in for 20 percent off and free shipping use the code 8bit at manscaped.com that's a-t-e-b-i-t so what are you what are you working on at the moment that you can talk about i'm pretty sure i can talk about this um i'm doing a couple of big scratch builds um one for intel and one for mm-hmm. Horus. Um, I don't think I'm allowed to say exactly what they are, but they will line up with the launch of Intel's new processors. Okay. So that's kind of... Very cool. Yeah, kind of around that. They're all pretty techy and both... going to be pretty big builds, actually, uh, as far as, like, size and that goes. They're not going to be, like, little compact cases. Um, I've just wrapped up a bunch of projects for Marvel, um, and I can't tell you what they are either, but they're coming soon. <laughs> um, Marvel are handling all the media and that for that, which is, it's pretty nice. I'm not going to lie. All I had to do was like film it and take photos and they just kind of handle the rest. It's, it's pretty good. That's awesome. Yeah. And then what else are we working on? I've got a pretty over the top controller coming up for Sega as well, but I'm pretty sure I'm not allowed to say what game for either. So <laughs> can you say what, what console Xbox it's for Xbox yeah. Australia and Japan. Very cool, very cool. Have you messed around with, with handhelds or Switch at all? I've done a couple of Switches. Um, I did a Hero of Mana Switch for Square Enix last year. It was a giveaway. Um, and then I did a full Breath of the Wild Switch. Where I modded the dock and everything, so the dock was like a, a plinth for the Master Sword and all that kind of stuff. 
Yeah, um, that, that was cool. Yeah, other than that, not really, because when the Switch first came out, it had that rubberized polymer coating on it, um, which basically made paint just peel off it. So mm. since then, though, you can just buy aftermarket standard plastic shells, uh, and it's made it a lot more moddable. But generally, uh, companies don't ask for it, I guess, because like, a lot of the AAA games don't come to Switch straight away, so it's not really their yeah. focal point. Yeah. The technical side of it, like I, like I remember when you were doing my black um, DualSense controller, you were talking about how you'd already taken apart a bunch of them. Like how, how much of it for you is learning the technical aspects of how these consoles and controllers and everything kind of fit together and work as a you know piece of hardware? To begin with, it was pretty difficult because I'd never pulled... Like I, um, I used to be a phone technician, so I used to pull apart and replace screens on iPhones and all that kind of stuff sure. all the time. So I was pretty familiar with like small screws and had a, had a rough idea of how you pull things pull something apart and put something back together. Um, but my first PlayStation controller, I watched like four videos on it, and um, both the PlayStation Four and the Xbox One controllers, you have to like rip the plastic in a way that just feels like you're gonna snap it because they. So the Xbox controller, the um, two side panels um, that connect the front and the back. They just held in with plastic clips and they make the worst noise when you pop them off. <laughs> and to begin with, I was just like, no, no, this doesn't just doesn't feel right. And then the PS4 is a similar way. You take out the four screws and you have to wrench the front and back apart um, because it like it like locks in from underneath and slides in. So the mm-hmm. only way to undo that is to put a, quite a bit of force on the bottom so it pops out so you can slide it back up. Um, that's probably the thing that took the most time to get used to. But... An Xbox controller, I don't have to fully disassemble to mod because you take out, you pop off those two side panels, there's five screws, and the front and back plastic come off, and all of the buttons and technology are in, in a separate housing that the plastic right. just kind of wraps around. So you, I rarely pull them all the way apart unless I'm doing a complete button swap. Um, and then the PS4 controller is, I think, only five screws as well because there's only one screw in the middle. And that allows all the hardware to fall out, but then all the buttons fall out too. So you need to be able to put all the buttons back in, but they're all um, indexed, so they only go in one spot anyway. So they make it pretty easy, because I think for the most part, they are um, hand-built in factory. So they just kind of take all the parts, and they're, like, they're built in an assembly line, but I'm pretty sure people are still the ones who put them together. But now it's, it's literally just second nature. Like The Xbox Series S, that Series controller is... Super similar to the Xbox One controller. It comes apart the same way. It just has better features in it, basically. And the PS5 controller is pretty similar. It's just uh, a lot more in it this time around. Well, the PS4 controller, I feel, is fairly simple compared to the Xbox yeah. controller at the time. Um, yeah, there's a bit going on. With yeah. DualSense. And now the DualSense has a boatload more stuff into it. So you just kind of get to the point where you know where stuff roughly is and you know where to be careful and what you can just kind of yeet. That's... <laughs> That's a, it's a probably a gutsy thing to do because like even like my only experience with taking things apart is taking the PS4 and PS3 apart to like blow dust out of them and yeah. even doing that is like oh what am I doing like am I gonna brick this thing or whatever but I'm I'm guessing I don't know do you is it something that you can practice like you can buy like old worn down like broken versions of these things or is it just you just went head first and said i gotta learn how to do this with the ps4 i went with um old and broken first um my housemate had a, a busted controller so i started with that um yeah. but obviously with the ps5 that you don't have that luxury it was like 
I got a controller and I just took my time. I think I, yeah. I spent like a good hour and a half pulling apart the first one just to make sure I knew where everything went and didn't ruin everything. And then the second controller was like 15 minutes because um, you just kind of remember where it does. And I think I've pulled apart a good eight or 10 cents. Um, and it just kind of, yeah, more or less just second nature now. I know where all the screws are. I know where the ribbon cables are. And I'm, I can pull, yeah, pull one apart pretty quickly now. Yeah, that's awesome. Have, has it got to the point where you can actually approach a developer like a, a, a like you know these some of these marketing guys now can you approach them and say hey i've got a great idea for your next game or is it more they come to you um with commenters have a rapport with that definitely does happen i'll just be in a call about um well because i'm at the point now where um most of the reps and all that kind of stuff are personal friends so i can just give them a bell and we'll be chatting about stuff and Oh, I say what they're working on, they ask me what I'm working on. We do that back and forth and all that kind of stuff. Um, and if I have an idea, I'm, I have no, like, I don't really hesitate anymore. If I have that previous rapport, I'll be like, hey, well, what do you think about this? And obviously, depending on like budgets and timing and 95 other things, depending on if it sticks or not. Um, but a good 80% of the work that comes through is um, companies reaching out. But they generally reach out because of the rapport anyway. So it'll mm. be. Like you know, a buddy at Xbox call me out and be like, "Hey, you know, we need to pro- we're promoing this game at the minute. We want to we want to promo it with a super cool custom controller or a custom console or, um, yeah, yeah, that's cool. more or less how it works." Okay, and like, do you, do you remember the feeling that you had when people started to see your work and comment on it? Because I'm guessing that like, you know, you make something, you think it's pretty cool, but then to see you know hundreds if not thousands of people you know giving it a, a upvote on reddit or giving it a retweet or a like like and saying that it's awesome that must be really cool i'm guessing that it's mostly positive i'm guessing people don't trash it too much <laughs> um it depends on really depends on where you put it if reddit generally is um a lot pickier but that's reddit in general um yeah. most social media presence is uh fairly positive you'll always have people that nitpick stuff you I'm really not two-faced. As long as I'm happy and the client's happy, I really don't mm-hmm. care what other people think too much. Um, I don't pay too much attention to social media, honestly. Um, I always forget to post on it just because <laughs> I'm not a bi- I'm not a massive social media nut myself, so I just forget about it and go, oh, shit, I haven't posted anything for like a month. Um, which, in speaking of that, I don't think I posted Instagram for like a month. So that speaks for itself there. Um <laughs> I definitely get a personally. I get a lot more um, gratification out of seeing people's reactions to a build. So, like when we did the the massive Quake logo that was also a PC in it would have been 2017, 2018, because we did two years in a row. Um, except like different revisions of it. The second year one was like way cooler. Mm. Um, seeing people's reactions and like being able to talk to them about it, like what they actually think about it. And um, you will also meet a bunch of people that are super interested in making things themselves. So I can like not teach them cause I'm at a convention, but I can tell them how I did things and that yeah. back and forth and that kind of stuff. So personally, I find that a lot more satisfying than just seeing a like or a comment. Um, mm. Obviously it's a little bit different when like one of the makers of the game or one of the game designers had had nothing to do with the development of the mod like messages you or reaches out to you about it um and like you've like made one of their visions come true as well that's always super satisfying but um your generic likes and comments i'm like i'm either here or there on them to be honest yeah cool so 
through the kind of journey you've been on the last six or so years it's it seems like there's been a few different phases where it was like a hobby and then you decided to take it a bit more seriously so i guess you were having to like learn about the business side of things and then again it was it was going full-time and taking that leap and you know the the pax booth and networking i'm wondering what's like the hardest part of of this process for you that you've had to um to do or, or to overcome or, or figure out along the way uh, the hardest part's easily quitting my job um because yeah. it's more stable like you I, I gave up a stable income i gave up like all the stuff that comes with that um it was yeah, easily the hardest aspect of it was walking away from that because i was on pretty good money um i worked with really good people i was just not enjoying the work as much as i feel i felt i should um, I think it's mostly just because I wasn't couldn't be creative as I wanted to be. Um, yeah, but it, it's, it's simultaneously the best thing I've ever done because now I do mm. what I love for a living. So it's in hindsight, I'm like, oh, best decision I've ever made. But at the time, I was yeah. shitting bricks. Yeah, because <laughs> it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. Like I gave myself six months, which in actual fact was about four and a half because I didn't want to go six months and have no savings left, then start looking for a job. Sure. So I kind of gave myself that four and a half month window to make sure I could bring money in and all that kind of stuff. And then if I was cutting to my savings too much, that four and a half month point, I had a month and a half to find a job beforehand before I was kind of screwed. Yeah. But So how yeah. did you know it was the right time to, to make that leap? Was it like you were um, getting like, enough interest from from for, for different like projects? Um, no, a bit about the same um, amount of interest um, as the, like for the past like two years or so, interest has been more or less the same. Um, I think it's like I found myself saying no to more projects because I couldn't, I just didn't have the time because I was working yeah. 40 to 50 hours a week at my job and then coming home and just working on tag more or less. So it was like killing my social life and um, well, it's just not healthy really. You'd burn yourself out pretty quickly and I'd find like I'd go a couple of weeks every now and again where I just did nothing and I'd take leave off work and just stay home and chill because I was just wrecked. Uh, yeah, well, now I've just got the time. So if I have an extra job come in at like last notice with two or three days notice, um, that's no longer as daunting because I have that whole, I have those full three days to work on it. I still have to work eight hour days. So yeah, a lot lot of those little jobs still roll through. Yeah. And when I was in the workshop, it was cool to see like just how much you, you've taught yourself to do from whether it's the physical modding or the the paint and the you know so many different types of paint and and designing stickers and being able to kind of incorporate all that into what you're doing you've obviously had to teach yourself quite a bit along the way as well yeah yeah well that's like that just kind of naturally happened it's not like i learned everything all at once it was yeah like this project came up and i'd come up with a design knowing that there was an aspect in that design that i didn't know how to do um and I'd either use my previous skills to kind of jerry-rig a way to do it or I'd learn the new skill. It kind of depend on the time that I had. Um, and it, it also comes down to a lot of how well constructed something needs to be. So it falls back to if something's a giveaway or not. So if something's a giveaway, I want it to be like way sturdier and um, yeah. not just be like tacked on with double-sided tape or whatever. But if it's a lot of the bigger builds are just social media builds. So I build them take all the photos, do the video, and then they get torn back down because um, the companies only want the promo video. Yeah, they just want to get the hits. Yeah, exactly. 
you know, for the people out there, you know, you said that there's not a ton of people doing what you're doing, but if there's anyone listening that wants to get into this, or maybe there's just people that want to try something creative, whether it's woodwork or painting or whatever, like what, what's your advice to people that want to, you know, push their comfort zone a little bit as far as taking things apart and putting them back together, working on things, learning a new craft? Um, my methodology has always just kind of been like just go for it and if it goes wrong i learn i'd learn more from screwing up than i do from like watching a youtube video on it or reading something about it Mm -hmm. i've tried both of those methods and i end up just screwing it up anyway and learning more from that um i've never so that makes me just what a kinesthetic learner i'm pretty sure they call it so (laughs) knowing how you learn i feel is like the best way to kind of attack the problem um so for me, even it comes to like like sculpting and carving and all those kind of things, I can't sculpt for, for buggery. But if you gave me a block and told me to carve a circle out of it, I could. And I'd do that probably a lot better and neater than from sculpting a circle out of a pile of clay. Because it's just how my head works. Like I can see the circle inside a block, but I can't see a circle in a pile of nothing. Um, so just kind of knowing how your head works in that way uh, as to getting into it I'm now fortunate enough that I have all the tools that I need that if I want to try something a little bit new or a little bit different that I can just jump in. But I started out using tools that I borrowed from my dad. Um, I just kind of stole like a battery drill and all that kind of stuff off him and yeah. <laughs> use that to teach myself basic things. I'm, you know, I, I think that it's a lot more valuable to learn by doing, in my opinion, but that's also just because that works for me. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, so like the best place to start is always YouTube or a podcast or people that like listen to people that make things and like I still see like uh, I watch Adam Savage a lot because love that dude. So I'll see him do something in one day build and where he's, whether he's pumping out a new project or if he's just refurbishing something and I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I'll go in the workshop and try it and or like try a slightly different variant or application of um, whatever I've just watched him do. And go like, oh, cool! That's a really cool thing that I can apply to a project later on, and that it like pops up, you know, a month later or six months later or whatever. And like, hey, I know how to do that. Yeah, I mean, it must feel good. Like, I just put a light in my pantry, like that you open, and then the light turns on, and that's nothing like compared to what you're doing. But I'm like, yeah, I'm 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 a handyman, and so it must feel good to like work on a project for like so long and have it finished and look at it and go, that's done. Like that must be a pretty cool satisfying thing yeah that is still super satisfying i found that um there's always a point in every project where i hate it it just yeah. <laughs> in that like midpoint where it's like not quite detailed yet or that and i look at it and just like this doesn't make the design like this looks crap and i've kind of learned to ignore that little voice in my head sure and i'm just like no no, no i just trust like trust your skills or whatever it might be trust the process um and like, yeah exactly trust the process and like back yourself a bit more i suppose and then at the end of the project i'm like yeah okay this looks sick it's exactly on design or like um the projects i find the most fun i guess are builds that i just do for the sake of doing a build um because i don't have to meet anyone's expectations i can just do something that i think would look cool um a lot of the time they projects just myself if i'm upgrading my own pc or whatever because i feel like it's wrong if i just have a standard pc (laughs) fair enough yeah all right. Um, so, last question, unless I think of something else okay. before I let you go. <laughs> if, you, 
If you could do anything and know you wouldn't fail, what would you do? Do anything and know that I wouldn't fail. Um, oh. Do you mean like in terms of a build or just like life in general? Both. I want to know what's your dream project, but then also, yeah, on like a more philosophical level too, maybe. Um, the, dr- the dream project would probably to do be like a proper like a long-standing fit-out. So at the minute, like 99% of my builds are, are temporary. They're either used for a giveaway, which becomes obsolete in a couple of years, or they're used for social media and get torn down straight away. So I feel like the ideal project would be to like you know fit out Bethesda's office in America right. with you walk through the door and the first thing you see is like all these dope custom PCs that it doesn't matter if they're four or five years old, they're still on show because it's from their key games. Yeah. Um yeah, I feel like that'd be like the dream role because then, like, I don't know, everyone that goes through there is going to see something I've built, which I think is really cool. Yeah, it's kind of like a um, display. Yeah, it? exactly. Like, it's cool to see them on, like, on social and all that kind of stuff. But I find that builds are always better received at events because people see them and realize that, like, a lot of work's gone into it. Or if the build's, like, crazy big, they go, like, holy shit, this thing's huge. Whereas scale's always thrown out in photos. Yeah, um, and like outside of of builds, outside of builds, do something without failing. Um, that's that's outside of builds is hard to answer because I don't really do much else. <laughs> <laughs> like, tag is more or less my life outside of because um, when I'm not working on stuff directly for tag, I'm generally mm. building things which still contributes to tag. So to do something completely outside of that without failing, oh yeah, I honestly don't know how to answer that. <laughs> nothing's like jumping to mind. Like I can't, yeah, nothing's popping into my head like immediately fine, of like I need that, to do that. Yeah. That means that you're, I guess that means that you're doing what you want to do. Like what you're thinking about, what's what's, uh, what's keeping you up at night is what you get to do, get up and do the next morning as well. Yeah, that, that's very true. Yeah, you know, I found something I love to do and now I get paid to do it. So it's pretty sick. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for your time, Ethan. It's been really cool to pick your brain and, and hear the story of how it all came together. And, no, um, all good, man. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Hopefully, we can have another PAX this year and, and see what you've you've been working on lately. That would be nice. I do miss events. <laughs> Just the atmosphere. It's They're good. Cool. All right. Well, fingers crossed, and we'll see how that goes. Yeah, exactly, man. I'm hopeful, though. I want it to go ahead. Because events are, events are definitely one of the highlights of just what I do. Me too. Thank you for listening and thanks to our friends at Audio Technica and Manscaped. If you want to catch Ethan on social medias, you can get him at Tag Mods. If you want to support this podcast, you can do it with a five-star rating and review in your podcast service of choice. But especially Apple Podcasts and Podchaser, you can go one step further and support the 8-Bit Network as a whole over at Kofi.com slash we are 8-bit that's ko-fi while you're at it you can pick up some sweet 8-bit merchandise over at shop8bit.net if you want to catch me on social media hit me at Jono himself and until next episode keep putting in work <laughs>